quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This freedom we have, our economic cloud, and that is why today was such a decisive one. Thank you very much to all of you. All right, uh- A press conference there uh, being led by three clear leaders in Europe. You've got the French president, Emmanuel Macron, Roberta Metzola, European Parliament president, and of course, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, European Commission president as well, wrapping up Europe's future conference uh, in Strasbourg, France there. They talked about a message of unity uh, among European leaders in terms of this war with Russia and Ukraine, saying that they are clearly, of course, on Ukraine's side, especially in terms of how they're implementing sanctions against Russia. They touched on Ukraine's long-standing goal to be part of the bloc, to be part of the European Union. Um, and this idea by Ursula von der Leyen that countries that share the bloc's values, like Ukraine, should be much more welcomed into the bloc and that they would welcome applications from both Moldova and Georgia as well. I want to bring in international diplomatic editor Nick Robertson, who's joining us live now from Finland. So, Nick, I understand that you were listening to that press conference as well. What stood out to you? Yeah, the idea that uh, there actually are some differences in the way the leadership wants to move forward. Uh, President Macron has been perhaps one of the um, uh, European Union leaders who's put the brakes on expansion, particularly if you go back a couple of years ago, uh, talking about the Western Balkans, uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, for example. This has been an area where Emmanuel Macron, the expansion of the European Union, has been a, a bit of a holdout compared to other nations. And I think you've got a sense of that, uh, particularly listening to Ursula von der Leyen. Of course, there's unity. Of course, there's the unity that, um, that Ukraine should be um, put on a path and helped along the path to admission. Uh, uh, President Macron said that was clear. But uh, I think the notion here um, that the European Union is a year ago submitted itself to this discussion of what it would take to, um, you know, to bring in more nations uh, to the European Union. And some have felt that that was not the right time. Macron was one of those. Um, Has sort of come up, has now hit upon a moment in history where actually it's incumbent on them and there's a huge amount of pressure upon them to bring in Ukraine faster. But the the terms of doing it are to meet uh, the European Union standards, to share those democratic values. But as, a, 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 as, as one of the speakers there, I'm listening, so I can't see, but I think it was Ursula von der Leyen, uh, said that, um, you know, in the case of Ukraine, getting rid of the oligarchs. Um, it is going to be a difficult path forward for the European Union as a whole of all the nations to to come to this agreement. So I think that's what stood out to me, uh, that, you know, this was a discussion, but now it's much more pertinent and much more pressing. Um, but it but it's but it's underway. But it did, uh, as, you know, as President Macron there, as France holds the rotating uh, presidency of the Council of the European Union, um, he in a way and perhaps being the sort of most established European Union leader as well, sort of tries to set the direction and it's not quite where some of the others want to follow. All right, Nick Robertson, live for us there. Thank you so much.
Right, still to come here on First Move, a show of military might in Red Square, Russia celebrating the Victory Day Parade uh, there in Moscow. A live report from Moscow as well. Plus workers flooding past barriers and clashing with security guards in Shanghai as the city further tightens its COVID lockdown measures. The latest next. Welcome back. Russian President Vladimir Putin reiterating his claim that his actions in Ukraine is a forced response to Western policies. We could see how military infrastructure was being developed, how hundreds of foreign advisors were at work, regular supplies of the most modern weapons from NATO. Danger was increasing every day. Russia uh, Russia repelled this aggression in a preventive way. This was the only correct decision, and it was a timely decision. CNN's Matthew Chance is live for us in Moscow. I want to remind our viewers that Russia has introduced strict laws regarding how the conflict in Ukraine is described and also has prohibited the broadcasts of information it regards as false. So, uh, Matthew, you were at this Victory Day parade. You were in the VIP section. Just set the scene for us. Tell us what you heard and what you saw. That's right. Well, I was, we, we got an invite this year to, uh, to, to be in the stands. And so it gave me a sort of bird's eye view, uh, up close view of this, you know, always very spectacular display of Russian military might, uh, of Russian national pride. And it's particularly poignant, of course, this year, uh, because it comes against the backdrop of that brutal conflict that is taking place uh, in, in Ukraine. And, you know, um, uh, Vladimir Putin, in his speech, which he makes every year uh, to this parade, uh, said that, as you mentioned, uh, that Russia was facing an imminent threat uh, and that it had to act, had to act defensively and preemptively. And so he yet again you know, gave these justifications, uh, offering no support for them, I have to say, uh, for the uh, military campaign in, in Ukraine, what Russia calls its special military operation. Uh, and that's been rejected, of course, by Ukraine uh, and its uh, allies. It was also a spectacular sort of you know, a bit of theatre as well, because you saw 11,000 troops uh, march in, in step with each other um, across the cobbles of Red Square. Uh, that was followed by a display of Russian military hardware, including tanks and rocket launchers and even intercontinental ballistic missiles. So the, the, the full array almost of, of Russia's arsenal. There was meant to be an air display as well, but because of bad weather, we're told by the Kremlin, and it was very cloudy out there today and rainy out in, in, in Moscow, um, that air dimension of the parade was cancelled. And so it was a bit more muted, a bit smaller than we'd anticipated. There's also been quite a lot of anticipation that Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, was going to use this, uh, this, this parade as a, a, an opportunity to uh, make an important announcement uh, about the special military operation, as he calls it, in Ukraine. Maybe he was going to you know, say it was going to a, make a formal declaration of war, maybe announce some kind of mobilization of forces uh, to bring extra power to bear uh, on the front lines there. But none of that happened. So, you know, Vladimir Putin held back from doing that at this parade. But there was also nothing that he said, nothing that, that we heard or saw that would give an indication that Vladimir Putin is or Russia is backing off and its military objectives inside Ukraine at this stage, either zone. All right, Matthew Chance, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, for more on all of this, I want to bring in senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy, Andrei Ilorinayev, uh, who joins us live now. He's also a former chief economic advisor 
to Vladimir Putin. Um, Andre, thank you so much for being with us. A lot of people are talking about the fact that this speech was notable more because of what Vladimir Putin didn't say versus what he actually did say. What are your thoughts on this speech? Uh, good to, to hear, to be with you. I think Matthew is right uh, by saying uh, that there was no basis uh, actually to expect that in this particular speech, uh, Putin would make announcement for uh, either uh, new war or transformation of the so-called special military operation into real full-scale war or for call for mass mobilization. Such uh, speeches on the May 9th parade, it's not for this practical work. Those speeches are for making ideological statements. And this speech did serve this particular purpose. This is a very important ideological speech. And through this ideology, we can see at least three very important elements and component of the ideology. I would say ideology of Putinism. The first one is the announcement of new territorial claims to Ukraine. Uh, Putin discussed many uh, names of on the Ukrainian territory, cities and places, and the names of historical figures who, according to Putin, were fighting on our land, and this our land in the whole territory of Ukraine. So Putin was making very clear that he is making claims on the whole territory of Ukraine. Another element of this mm -hmm. uh, very notable speech is a very clear statement of the against Ukrainian ethnicity, Ukrainian language and Ukrainian culture. Why it is so? Because in the slang of Putin himself and his propaganda persons, uh, Nazism became a synonym of mm -hmm. Ukrainian. And that is why fight against uh, Nazism or uh, fight with Nazis, it means fight with Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. So he repeated it six times in his Right, speech, he's made that the focus. That he's really, yes, so-called denazification for him, it means de-Ukrainization of Ukrainian nation. And the last very important point element of this component component of this speech is anti-Westernism, anti-Americanism, anti-NATOism. Never before, for 22 years of Putin's in power, he made such uh, outrageous claims and attacks on the United States, on NATO, mm -hmm. and the whole West. Right. So you you point out this idea that this speech was just to um, you know explain and advance his ideologies. Um, but So how did we get it so wrong? I mean, a lot of people going back to last week, the week before, were anticipating that there would be some kind of major announcement when it comes to this war, some kind of declaration of war, sort of, um, you know, moving it away from this sort of special military operation to a full-blown declaration of war. How did we all get it so wrong? I cannot comment on some mistakes made by some other people and experts and observers. But I think this ideological statement is very important. To some extent, it's even more important than proclamation of real war or mobilization. Because mobilization could be temporal, war can finish. What Putin made right now, 
he proclaimed his ideology, which means that he is going to use all possible resources for all foreseeable future without any limitations to pursue those goals. So from this point of view, probably this even more important and more dangerous. Um, Stark warning there, Andrei Ilarinov, thank you so much for being with us, former chief economic advisor to Vladimir Putin. All right, stay with us. The Market Open is next. Welcome back. The opening bell sounding on Wall Street for the first trading day of the week. We have got a lower open uh, for you. The Dow, by the way, already down almost uh, 500 points, a continuation of last week's selling pressure, the fifth straight losing week for the S&P and the Nasdaq. Rahel Solomon joins us live now. So it was quite the roller coaster ride, Rahel, last week. Investors were weighing rising interest rates uh, alongside the potential for slower economic growth. Is the volatility rather set to continue this week? It, it appears so already, Zane. Good morning. Yeah, and it was the sixth down week for the Dow. When we look at last week's performances for the major averages, I want to I point out something. Both the Dow and the S&P closed fractionally down 0.2%. The Nasdaq closed lower by 1.5%. But to your point, Zane, they don't necessarily paint the most descriptive picture of what we experienced last week, which was uh, wild swings in one direction or the next, with the Nasdaq especially getting hit hard. Uh, The Nasdaq, of course, being the names, the most popular high-growth tech names like the Meta, Facebook, uh, Amazon, Apple, those names. And those tech names, Zane, don't tend to do the best in rising rate environments. We heard from the Fed last week that they were raising a key interest rate, uh, half a percent and more rate hikes are likely on the way. So that's part of the reason why you're seeing tech get hit especially hard, these high growth names. The question, Zane, is have we hit a bottom or is there more to go? I spent some time last week on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And just to provide some perspective, when I spoke to traders and asked, well, what are you hearing? What are you feeling? What are you hearing from your clients who are calling? The word they used for me was anxiousness, not necessarily panic, but anxiety in terms of uh, what we're what we're experiencing. By the way, the Fed, too, doesn't know how much more they're going to raise rates. They have said all along that it will be very data dependent in terms of how much they have to do to try to get inflation under control, Zane. And speaking of data, we are expecting a sort of key inflationary report to come out this week. Obviously, for the Fed, one of their key mandates is to make sure that inflation stays roughly around uh, 2 percent. With rising prices, just how is all of that affecting uh, consumer spending, Rahel? Well, the consumer is so important, right? It's two-thirds of U.S. GDP. So, uh, yes, to your point, Wednesday, we're going to get a very important report, CPI, Consumer Price Index, essentially uh, how much are the cost of things like milk, eggs, gas is included in that, uh, going up year over year. The last reading was 8.5%. That was the fastest pace in 40 years. Wednesday, the expectation at this point is 8.1. So that would be a slight sort of cooling of inflation, which the Fed needs. If we see that rate go up, well, you know, we are likely in for perhaps a a rough week. So Wednesday is a very important inflationary reading. The expectation is 8.1. But why it matters is because at this point, the consumers uh, appear to still be spending, but we know that that has its limits, right? At what point does the consumer start to become more cost conscious when the gas, uh, when gas at the pump is more expensive, when you go out to eat and that's costing you more? And so uh, we want the consumer to still keep spending, of course, but if inflation continues to sort of rage out of control as it has been, uh, there will be a limit to that, Zane. 
Yeah, um, consumer is obviously paying the price for this. Uh, Rahel Solomon, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, slowing economic growth in China is one of the major challenges facing global investors. China's premier today calling the employment situation in his country complex and grave as Beijing doubles down on its zero COVID policy. Newly released video posted on WeChat shows workers clashing with guards at a tech manufacturing plant in Shanghai last week as tighter COVID restrictions were put in place in that city. The manufacturing plant is, by the way, a supplier to Apple. Selena Wang joins us live now from Kunming, China. So, Selena, we're seeing these COVID restrictions just affect everything from job creation to uh, clearly employees and and workers, um, but also the broader economy as well. Yeah, a devastating psychological, economic impact on the residents. We're more than a month into this lockdown and still there is no end in sight. And just last week, China's leader Xi Jinping vowed to double down on zero COVID and to punish anyone who questions this policy. Because zero COVID now in China's aim is about more than COVID. It's also about loyalty to the party, loyalty to China's supreme leader Xi Jinping. So since those comments, we've seen these restrictions ramp up in Shanghai, even though daily case counts are coming down. Now in Shanghai, every single positive case is sent to a quarantine facility, many of which are in very poor and unsanitary condition. But now even people who test negative for COVID could be sent to these quarantine facilities. In fact, in several parts of Shanghai, entire apartment blocks have been forced out of their homes, sent to these facilities, all because one person in the building tested positive for COVID-19. In some areas as well, neighborhoods in strict lockdown are being banned from placing online orders to get food and daily essentials. That is sparking new fears about food shortages. In fact, in one viral social media video, you can see residents storming out of their apartment buildings, clashing with guards in security suits and has and hazmat workers. And you can see, in fact, in this video, the hazmat workers are actually beating some of the residents to the ground. And this this outbreak happened after there was a fight in the building about food shortages. Now, this lockdown in Shanghai, I mean, this is the country's manufacturing heart. It has shut down many factories and it is further worsening the supply chain nightmares around the world. But some of these factories, Zane, are allowed to continue operations if they have a bubble system where the staff members work, sleep, live on the factory floor. But that, of course, comes with its challenges. And in that video you referenced earlier in this segment, it's actually at a Quanta factory, which is a key supplier for both Tesla and Apple. You can see the workers in the video. They are jumping over the factory gates. They are overwhelming the security guards there. These lockdowns in China, not just in the big cities, though, it's in at least 31 cities under full or partial lockdown. That's impacting potentially 214 million people. And as a result, people are losing their jobs. They are losing their income. Premier Li Keqiang calling the unemployment situation in China, quote, complex and grave. The unemployment rate in China is at the highest rate in nearly two years. But Zane, right now in China, the priority is zero COVID above all else. Right, and that policy um, has had consequences. Selena Wang, live for us there. Thank you so much. Right, breaking news from Sri Lanka, where there is new political uncertainty. Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa just announced his resignation. It follows weeks of protests against his government over its handling of Sri Lanka's worst economic crisis since independence in 1948. A nationwide curfew has been imposed after violence broke out between protesters, supporters of 
the ruling party. Uh, more on this story as we get it here at CNN. In the Philippines, people are waiting to hear the results of the country's presidential election after polls closed a couple of hours ago. The front runner to replace Rodrigo Duterte is this man, Ferdinand Marquez Jr., also known as Bongbong, Bong, the only son of the infamous Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos. Uh, the election has been called one of the most important in decades with the impact of COVID at the top of people's minds. Ivan Watson has more on what's at stake. This was a big election, more than 18,000 jobs up for grabs, everything from local legislative council members to the top position in the country of president. Some 67.5 million uh, registered voters believed to be expected to cast their ballots. Not surprisingly, the economy uh, at the top of the list of priorities for many voters because the Philippines has taken a beating due to the coronavirus pandemic. Take a listen to what some voters had to say to us. A candidate who is smart, that's important. It's also important to have strength, someone who is ready to help people. Our situation is not good now. The prices of goods are too high. Maybe the next leader will be able to control it. Poverty, jobs, I was an overseas Filipino worker. I am hoping that for us, we'll be able to find job opportunities here. There are 10 candidates for the post of president. They include the boxing champion, Manny Pacquiao. According to polls, the two frontrunners are the son of the Philippines' late dictator, Ferdinand Marcos Sr., the son going by the nickname Bong Bong Marcos Jr. He's been campaigning uh, for economic renewal uh, on a nostalgia ticket, effectively. Uh, critics argue whitewashing the horrific human rights record of his father, who was ousted in a people power movement in 1986. Uh, Marcos Sr. had... Uh, ruled under martial law for nearly a decade. The widow, Imelda Marcus, was seen going to the polls in the north of the country. Uh, she, of course, famous around the world for her enormous shoe collection, which became a symbol of alleged corruption uh, in the Marcos dynasty. Uh, the polls show that Marcos Jr. is challenged by the outgoing vice president, uh, Lenny Robredo, the only female candidate for the post of president, uh, a lawyer campaigning for uh, democratic renewal after six years of governance under the president, outgoing president, Rodrigo Duterte. Uh, Robredo and Marcos Jr. competed head to head in the 2016 uh, vice presidential elections, and she edged out Bong Bong Marcos Jr., We'll have to see when the ballots are counted who may have won at the end of the day in this large election. Ivan Watson, CNN, Hong Kong. All right, more next on the war in Ukraine amid growing fears over the use of landmines, a danger not only right now, but of course, for years to come. All right, recapping the headlines this hour, and in Moscow, a show of military might and presidential propaganda. Vladimir Putin defending his unprovoked invasion of Ukraine at Russia's Victory Day ceremonies and baselessly claiming the West was preparing to invade. In Kiev, they were talking about the possible acquisition of nuclear weapons. The NATO bloc 
started developing, actively developing territories adjacent to us. And therefore, in a planned way, we're creating an absolutely unacceptable threat immediately next to our borders. Everything pointed to a collision with the Nazism, with the Nazists and Banderites that was inevitable and that was supported by the West. In a video message, Ukraine's President Zelensky hit back with his own plan for two victory days. We are fighting for our children's freedom and therefore we will win. We will never forget what our ancestors did in World War II, which killed more than 8 million Ukrainians. Very soon there will be two victory days in Ukraine, and someone won't have any. We won then, and we will win now. Happy victory over Nazism Day. In Warsaw, the Russian ambassador to Poland has been doused with red paint. Sergei Andreev was trying to lay a wreath honoring Soviet soldiers. He later said that he was not injured. Meantime in Ukraine, more reports of mass graves are coming to light. This one discovered east of Mariupol is said to be the third site of its kind, according to the city council. CNN has not been on the ground at any of these sites and is, of course, unable, therefore, to verify the claims. A charity that's been saving lives for decades says that in Ukraine, unexploded weapons will be a threat for decades to come. Landmines have been used over wide areas of the country by invading Russian forces, and they're being developed in alarming new ways. The Halo Trust, a British-American charity that clears mines and other deadly devices, says it will take a huge and prolonged effort to make Ukraine safe again. It's been removing mines there since 2016, when pro-Russian separatists began fighting the Ukrainian government. James Cohen is the CEO of the Halo Trust and joins us live now from London. So, James, you actually just got back from a trip to Ukraine. Just explain to us what you saw there. Yeah, I went uh, just about 10 days ago. Um, Much of the country actually is untouched by war. It's such a huge country. You can travel big distances and not see anything. But you begin to enter areas which have been affected by the conflict and the uh, extent and scale of the violence is really quite extraordinary. Uh, coming into Kiev, you see whole towns that have been devastated by the fighting. And then suddenly you pass through that into the centre of the capital city and it's actually relatively normal again. So it's really those areas around Kiev that, uh, where we are focusing at the moment. There's a huge need for our work. Uh, there's massive pressure on communities to return to their homes quite naturally. But they can't do that uh, unless their homes are made safe. What is the process? Explain to us sort of the step-by-step process of actually clearing and removing landmines. Well, it's inherently dangerous. And if it's done badly, uh, it can result in uh, death or injury. And that is already happening. There are too many inexperienced people involved in the clearance at the moment. So the Halo Trust, uh, as you rightly said earlier, has been working uh, in Ukraine for some years, has the expertise to come in and begin this process. We have many decades of experience. We work in countries such as Afghanistan, Libya, Ukraine, uh, Syria and Iraq. So we can bring that skill base uh, to bear and and we can make this process much safer. And we can also deliver the numbers because this will take many thousands of deminers to begin clearing uh, this very lethal ordinance. It's not just, though, about landmines because Mm -hmm. there is a great deal of other explosive hazard there, including booby traps left behind by the Russians. 
And how important is technology to the removal process? What sort of technology do you rely on uh, to clear landmines? There are many levels to this. Um, actually, the great revolution of this war is the availability of um, social media content, uh, which we can then synthesize, uh, put through big data processes and really work out uh, where all, all the contamination is. So that's been a major step forward. Drones are extremely helpful. Um, and so are remotely controlled vehicles, robots um, that can work in certain areas. However, this is still a process that relies on well-trained human beings to come into areas and do uh, the dangerous work of clearance. It can't be done just with machinery. Yeah, and it's so important to, you know, for viewers to remember that because of landmines, because of booby traps, as you point out, even after the war ends, people can still be killed several months several years, maybe even decades after the war ends because of because of landmines. That's right. Um, we work in countries like Angola and Cambodia, where the war ended many decades ago. But these devices are hermetically sealed. They're put in the ground to kill a soldier, but actually they'll kill or maim just as easily a civilian or a child many years after the event. Uh, there's something truly horrific about that. So we need to get on quickly, because if we don't, then uh, communities can't go home, factories can't restart production, and crucially for Ukraine and the world, they can't start planting crops or harvesting crops. So, you know, given how important Ukraine is to the world food system, it's absolutely okay. vital uh, that the land is cleared quickly. Yeah, of course, agriculture is going to be affected by this as well. And from what I understand, uh, a lot of people there on the ground there in Ukraine are being told not to go into the countryside, not to spend time in the woods because of the threat of landmines and booby traps. That's right, which makes it impossible for farmers who need at this time of year in the spring to be planting their crops uh, to do what is necessary to, to make sure that food system is secure. Also, it's not just about um, the agricultural land, it's about the ports. If you can't, um, if you can't get your crop uh, to the port, you can't export it. So it's vital that the ports of Ukraine are also made safe. So for people watching um, who are desperate to help in some capacity, what can they do? Well, HALO is an international NGO. You said we're British and we're American. That's right. But we rely on the generosity of the general public to support our work. Our plan is to grow from a program of about 430 staff um, to one that may, may be as large as 2,000 staff. And by doing so, we can get on with clearing Ukraine and making it safe. We need to win the peace uh, as well as uh, hear about Ukraine winning its war. But we can't do that unless we're funded and the general public can give very generously to our work if they choose to. Uh, and they can come and visit the Head of Trust website um, to donate. All right. James Cohen, uh, Life for Us, the CEO of the Halo Trust. Thank you so much for being on the programme. Thank you very much. And we'll have much more news after this break. All right, let's take a quick look and see how the markets are faring now. The markets have only been open for half an hour or so, but the Dow is actually down just under 400 points. More volatility apparently on the way. Obviously, last week we saw several wild swings, investors weighing the prospects of rising interest rates uh, and also the potential for slower economic growth as well. And that had uh, the markets seesawing in action. And finally, a show of support for Ukraine by U2's Bono and The Edge as well. From inside a subway station in Kyiv, at the request of President Zelensky, the rock stars performed classics like With or Without You and 
a cover of Benny King's Stand By Me, changing the lyrics to Stand By Ukraine. How special. Bono had this message about President Putin. I think it's, it's one man's war, really. And I think there's people in Russia will will younger people know what's going on and I trust in the younger people in Russia to throw this man um, out of his office that was so high and is so low right now. All right, that's it for the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll be back in a couple of hours with One World. Connect the World, Lenny Jokos is next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.